This is Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast, episode number 128. Today, our special guest is Dean Dr. Kevin Sneed. Dr. Sneed shares with us what he's learned and acted on during the COVID pandemic. Don't miss this episode. Welcome back to Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast. This is the only podcast that shows you how to leverage polarity intelligence, an essential competency for healthcare leaders, and the missing logic in healthcare so you can create healthy healing organizations and become a thriving, resilient, and unstoppable healthcare leader. We are your hosts, Tracy Christofferson and Michelle Troset. We've been best friends and colleagues for over 30 years. And during that time, we coached healthcare leaders across North America around how to create healthy healing organizations. Today, we coach healthcare leaders and leadership teams to live thriving, resilient, and balanced lives, combat burnout, and create the best places to give and receive care. This podcast is for the unsung hero of healthcare, the healthcare leader. We want you to know we see you and we'll be here for you each week. In this podcast, we're going to challenge healthcare's industry norms, flip limiting beliefs, and share proven strategies so you can be your best self at working at home, live and lead intentionally, and experience well-being and joy. We are glad you are here and look forward to sharing the journey with you. If you aren't totally convinced this podcast is for you, just listen to a few episodes and convince yourself. Greetings, this is Michelle from Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast. Greetings, everybody. This is Tracy. <laughs> Just trying a little something different. Yeah. <laughs> today, shake, shake it up, Michelle. Shake, shake it, it up. up. Today, we thought we'd start with greetings. <laughs> and we mean it. We mean it. We greet you welcomely with our hearts. Welcome to the podcast. We're grateful you're here listening. Absolutely. Yeah, all of that stuff. Okay. We had another fabulous interview, people. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Surprise! Oh, we, we, we did. did. We did. We had an interview with a dear friend and interprofessional colleague, Dr. Kevin Sneed, and um, what a what a man! Yeah, he has had some really, really thought provoking experiences. I would say um, during the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, and what a leader! Wow! Yes, like. He is really, really something. Yeah. Yeah. Really stepped up. He's done a lot in his community and his university and has a lot to be proud of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was yeah. really great to hear about. Yeah. I I just really, I just have a love for him. I met him many years ago and I was so thrilled when he agreed to be in our podcast because, you know, we can kind of see what he's doing out there in the world to really make a difference. And it was fun hearing um, who his inspirations were as a leader. So you want to make sure to stay tuned and listen to that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And he's definitely a team guy. Oh, yes. All about the team, which Kevin, is great. you can be in our team any day. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So let me introduce you to Dr. Kevin B. Sneed, and then we will get on with the interview. He is a tenured professor and the founding dean of the University of South Florida Tenja College of Pharmacy. He also serves as a senior associate vice president for USF Health. Dr. Sneed earned his Bachelor of Science degree in biology with a concentration in microbiology from the University of Central Florida. 
He received his Doctor of Pharmacy from Xavier University of Louisiana College of Pharmacy. He completed an ambulatory care pharmacy practice specialty residency at Bay Pines Veterans Administration Medical Center. He has received numerous clinical and leadership awards and most recently was inducted as a distinguished fellow in the National Academies of Practice. He's received the Chauncey I. Cooper Medal from the National Pharmaceutical Association and the National Pharmaceutical Association Fellow from the National Pharmaceutical Association. Dr. Sneed serves on the board of several organizations and participates in many community endeavors, which you will hear more about in just a minute. So without further ado, here is our interview with Dr. Kevin Sneed. Well, welcome, Kevin, to Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. Tracy and I are thrilled to have you as a guest today. Uh, well, I'm ecstatic to be here with you, and um, uh, I couldn't think of a, a better opportunity really just to share some information during a pandemic and and, uh, and be with uh, really someone that I've admired for a great deal of time. So uh, thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. We're looking forward to sharing what you've been up to, believe me. Yeah. Uh, well, this is Michelle, and I remember like it was yesterday, the day that I met you in Tampa, Florida. I had a colleague and mutual friend, Kathy Vieson, introduced us, and I don't think we stopped talking throughout our whole lunch together. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, later, you were inducted as a fellow into the National Academies of Practice, and so we've had the opportunity to see you at several of the NAP forums through the years. And... Um, as a matter of fact, uh, I don't know if you remember, Kevin, but Tracy and I, we did a breakout session on polarities in interprofessional education and collaborative practice. I remember you being part of that session. Do you remember that? I, I, I remember it, and, and um, even prior to the invitation to be here with you all, probably a month ago, I was just reflecting back on that session, walking down the hallway by some of our laboratories. Uh, honest to goodness. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Well, aren't that's we a very honest statement, by the way. All right. Well, that's good. <laughs> well, you know, we like to say, Michelle and I like to say we were doing interprofessional before interprofessional was cool. And so we were really curious to know kind of what sparked your passion for interprofessional care. Well, to be perfectly honest, um, when I was an undergraduate and I was preparing to uh, complete my studies, and uh, initially I was going to go off and get a PhD in immunology. And then I kind of made a shift and I said, well, I'm going to go to pharmacy. When I talked to my advisor, he kept trying to shift me over to go to um, medical school. And I said, yeah, but I don't want to be a physician. Uh, but because of the training I had uh, as an undergrad and even in pharmacy school, um, I just happened to fall into a very immersive environment where, you know, there were nursing and, and physicians and, and pharmacists and respiratory therapists and a whole group of other people that really valued the input of, of everybody on that team. And I had an opportunity early in my professional school career to, to observe that, uh, to live it, uh, to experience it. And then when I, when I became a faculty member, um, I again kind of fell directly into an environment where I'm working you know, as a PharmD uh, with 10 other physicians, uh, nurse practitioners, uh, physician assistants, and, and again, very similar. Everybody has a, uh, they, they crave the idea that, that uh, they have a, an expert and, um, uh, that can contribute to patient care and, and, and do team-based care. And so 
it hasn't been difficult at all for me uh, during my my studies and in my professional life to really uh, not only uh, want to engage in the professional care, but to live it at the highest level possible. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, that is. Not everybody gets that opportunity. So that was great. Yeah, well, we need, yeah, and, and uh, you know, we're continuing to work very hard to, to try and create more of that type of opportunity moving forward. And, and I think we have plans that that uh, can unfold one day, but uh, it won't happen because we woke up breathing air. We're going to have to continue to work hard at it and, and, um, and get more people on board. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been to your center and it's very impressive. And I have no doubt that you'll continue to really advance in a professional education and practice from your roots there in Tampa. Um, well, I'll tell you, Kevin, the reason we wanted you on our podcast today is we've been following you. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been so impressed with your leadership and stepping up to make significant community contributions um, during the COVID pandemic. And um, it really is, it's, we were talking, it's really about leadership to make a difference and to step out and stand out right now and really help people understand um, what they can do to help with the pandemic as well. And our first question for you today is just what you know, who inspired you to be a transformational leader yourself? Like, who was the person that inspired you the most? Um, probably, to be perfectly honest, you know, it, it was pro- it was my dad. Ah. Um, uh, you know, um, my parents uh, in, in general. I, I can I can focus on my dad, but really my parents. But uh, you know, I'm from Orlando. I grew up in Orange County, Florida, not California, <laughs> and. Um, you know, my parents were a second wave of individuals that came into the Orlando area and helped to desegregate uh, the educational system in, in, in Orlando. And during, I never realized growing up how instrumental that was for them and even the challenges that they had to go through. But uh, one thing I learned from him was, was number one, uh, you know, it, it's never really about you. There's a bigger cause uh, that we're all buying into. And then number two, just um, him investing time with me, and, and I often talk about the times that he and I sat down looking at, at uh, Star Trek on the weekends, and, and I'm talking about the original Star Trek with uh, Will- a young William Shatner as, um, as Captain Kirk, and I just happened to believe that much of what I was looking at uh, could happen, and he never uh, did anything to to not allow me to to uh, you know unlock my imagination and creativity, and so. I really give my parents a lot of credit uh, for being in a, in a position to uh, show me the, the best part of what humanity can offer and, and buying into something bigger. And so I think the transformational leadership of, of being a part of change and, and something bigger than you really started from a young age with my parents. And I'm very thankful and grateful for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so blessed that it, it started so young because we're learning a lot about how it's when you're young that's when your brain is really impressed, your behavior is really impressed. So we're grateful for your dad, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, both your parents. Both That's your right. parents. That's yeah. right. Well, Michelle asked you about who inspires you. Now we want to know what inspires you when you come up against an obstacle or a barrier. What inspires you to just push beyond that and to create change? Well, very often, I, and, and I talk about this a great deal with people. Um, I have a a very firm belief that uh, the intersection of purpose and passion, uh, when it's used for good, is probably one of the most powerful 
uh, emotions that, that can that can unfold on this planet because uh, when you do reach a tough moment, uh, you dig into a different reserve internally, and and and, and you look for ways, um, and you and you look for uh, creative ways, innovative ways, um, unorthodox ways, and a whole host of other adjectives that I could come up with. Uh, but you you really are looking, you know, again trying to achieve something bigger than you, and and so. You know, very often, you know, one of my models is, you know, people might say, hey, it's impossible. And I say, okay, yeah, it's impossible. When do we start? Um, <laughs> you know, when, you know, can we make the impossible possible? And it doesn't mean that you're always going to win, but you, but if you really believe that what you're trying to do is going to help people, if it will advance a cause, if it will uh, really get to a point of, of um, transforming something for the better, then ultimately the pain doesn't matter nearly as much as the pain of losing or, or mm -hmm. even not trying. And another thing I mentor people on uh, a great deal uh, is you know, the things when I look back on my life, I don't worry as much about the times I succeeded or failed on the things that bother me the most and when I didn't try and take advantage of an opportunity uh, to, to, you know, to really do something good. And so, um, you know, that, that hurts more today than and um, either if I had, you know, wildly great success or a, a terrible failure. Um, so I, I think that's probably probably the most important thing, just finding the passion, uh, connecting it to a purpose, and then pushing through until you achieve it for something bigger than you as an individual. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love that. I love that. Me too. You know, I kind of feel the same way, right? It, it's about something bigger and larger than you, and there's... There's so much room right now for that, right? There's so yeah. much space for really focusing on what's bigger than us as individuals and what it means as a part of a whole collective. You know, mm -hmm. so much opportunity there. So thanks for bringing that message. Yeah, yeah. I, Tracy, feel the same way about missing logic and what we're doing. It's like, if we don't bring this, who is going to bring it, right? And that, that feeling of regret if you don't follow that purpose and passion. So. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Kevin, for sharing that. I We do relate to that very much so. Uh, well, we want to congratulate you. You were recently uh, a recipient of the RQ Richards Public Relations Award from the Florida Pharmacy Association for Leadership in the COVID-19 Pandemic. Uh, that really focused on reaching out to the communities uh, with the goal of overcoming vaccine hesitancy and we are just really curious about that. And if you could share with our listeners what some of your strategies were to reach out to the community. Well, first of all, um, you know, I, I've, I've shared with many people. I don't, I don't, I've never done anything to, to go out and try and win an award. Uh, but when you do get, when you do win an award, um, it's been unsolicited, and, and, at least for me. Uh, it, it's rewarding, and, and it feels nice. I'm glad people recognized uh, some of the effort. Uh, really, it started long before the pandemic when I had a, I have a program called We Care, and We Care is an acronym that stands for Work Group Enhancing Community Advocacy and Research Engagement, and that uh, stemmed from a NIH grant that I was a major part of uh, several years ago, uh, where really our role was to get out into the community, build connections and relationships so that we could educate people about clinical research uh, with a goal of trying to increase uh, uh, clinical research on, from um, underrepresented communities, whether it be um, African-American, Latino, 
It could be uh, women that we need uh, more in the community, I mean, in the clinical research uh, study. If something was underrepresented, we wanted to be able to identify people from that community and then introduce them, educate them about what we were trying to accomplish and hopefully provide a pathway for them to come join that clinical research. So I've been building relationships here in the Tampa Bay area and across Florida for many years now. And we have a, a we had a um, community organization called Reach Up Incorporated that was really one of my major partners. And that was a critical, critical, critical relationship as the pandemic began to unfold. Because um, we knew early on, I began, I wanted to go out and, and educate the public and, and primarily African-American communities about the, on, the, the forthcoming, at the time, the forthcoming clinical trials that would happen with uh, the vaccines. But I knew there would be a great deal of mistrust, uh, hesitancy, and, and all of it well-deserved, uh, much of it legacy mm -hmm. uh, for many reasons in our country. Sure. Uh, so I went to reach up, and we began um, um, building the connections that we needed to build. And, and uh, we, made a, a, we made a very coherent decision to partner with, uh, with uh, churches. Uh, it's always been a strategy that we've always tried to employ uh, for a, a number of different reasons. Uh, you know, the community is very consistent. Uh, it's very, um, uh, very uh, stable. You know, as, as I have often said, if you, Miss Jones, if you encounter, if you can get her, you know, she was there a year before you got there, and she will be there a year after you've been there. And then that that builds an opportunity, really, to build on uh, you know clinical research opportunities. But we went to clergy, and the first thing I did was to build trust with the clergy uh, leadership. And we began talking with them, and I began talking about the importance. And then they provided a pathway for their uh, congregations. And then uh, when people in the congregations heard, well, they were part of other organizations. And they liked the message we were giving. Uh, we were very honest about a lot of things. We were extremely non-judgmental. We met people where they were, mm -hmm. and I could not. Uh, I could not have shown up in any one of the churches or or nonprofit organizations or fraternities, sororities, uh, you know, neighborhood uh, community groups. I could not have shown up and said, "Hey, my name is Dr. Sneed. Believe me." The first thing I needed to do was build trust with their trusted members and explain to them what we were trying to accomplish. And so over a period of time, as we got the, the trials going, uh, as we as the vaccines came out, um, it just continued to, to evolve to a point where we were able to educate a large number of people, especially in African-American and, and Hispanic communities, about the importance of being vaccinated. And we accomplished that at a point where at, at one point in time, we were number two in the state of Florida in terms of per capita, um, the number of people above, uh, 65 and above that were being vaccinated in African-American communities. Uh, only the Jacksonville area uh, per capita was ahead of where we were. Mm -hmm. And many people credited what we did to, mm -hmm. uh, or credited sure. that outcome to, to the communication patterns that we uh, were able to accomplish. And so uh, uh, I, I think, you know, for anyone listening, the number one thing you have to do is build very genuine and authentic relationships with, with community leaders and people in communities. You have to meet them where they are. Mm -hmm. Your credentials don't mean much if they don't know first how much you care. Mm -hmm. yeah.
Yeah, it's just that's so important. That whole just the genuineness, I'm sure, right? That you um, portrayed to them, right? Your genuine interest in their well being and establishing that, you know, that trust and understanding of their situation, who they are, being honest. I loved what you said. We're just really honest, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Tell it like it is. Don't try to make it look better than what it is. Just tell it like it is, right? And I think that always goes a long way to gaining that trust. So good for you. And over time, the other thing I heard you say, Mm -hmm. Kevin, it wasn't like a in and out type of thing. You were very intentional on building that trust over time. Um, And and I think the outcome really showed the impact of that. Yeah. Yeah, congratulations on that. Now, if we understand correctly, you're also working the other side of the equation and really trying to expand clinical researchers, right, and in those different diverse areas, right, for um, the African-American and the Latinos to bring, broaden the researcher community with those individuals as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, so again, that takes me back to We Care uh, quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, um, you know, one thing I recognized early on, and, and the original NIH grant that I was a part of, um, at the time, you know, we were finding about 3% immersion of, of African Americans into uh, cancer research. And, and and that was not unique to us here in, in the Tampa Bay area. That was just around the country. And as I began to really immerse into the real challenges, why that happened to be, it wasn't all on the side of, of um, people in the communities and their, their lack of... Um, wanting to be uh, prodded on or, or feeling like a guinea pig or or even the mistrust that, gen- that was generated from the Tuskegee study or anything mm-hmm. historic in the country. Uh, I found that many researchers are, as I get, and I know many of them, I've worked with them, I've been one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are well-intentioned people. They wake up and they have a passion for wanting to advance science and wanting to help people. But sometimes uh, just for either a for a whole host of reasons. Uh, they may not know how to communicate as effectively in some communities that they're not overly familiar with as we probably would want, or even the, the traditional ways of communicating. Meaning we're going to put a flyer up in the elevator. We're going to put an advertisement on a radio station that may not, uh, that, that many people in, in, in African American or Latino communities may not be listening to. We're going to talk to our own patients but many of our patients may not be coming from these communities. So the traditional ways of really finding people to participate in clinical research really did not apply. And we needed to create a pathway that now, uh, so what we did, we created a a community review committee Mm -hmm. of people directly from the community uh, and and a wide swath of the community. I mean, you know, we had clinicians, uh, you know, we had uh, teachers, we had a photographer. You know, I mean, we had, you know, just lay people on the committee and we trained them. We had a training module that we took them through about clinical research. And then we had researchers come and present their research in lay terms to that review committee. And the whole idea was not for us not to vet them whether or not we were going to support them in the community or not. It was really to gain acceptance and transparency for them so that we could turn around to the community and introduce them uh, you know, to the researcher and then try to make their connections with their research team. And we were, uh, you know, 
we, we had just started down the pathway of inviting researchers to come in and we had the research review committee and we had everything lined up and then and then February on uh, 2020 hit mm. and then we had to pivot Mm-hmm. So we've had a chance to pilot, um, you know, the process, and we know the process will work. Everybody's well-trained and eager. Uh, but that was really how, how important it was to really help the, uh, the researcher truly understand the community that they were uh, coveting and wanting to bring into their clinical research. That's wow. a great bridge. Oh, yeah. 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 So innovative. I really, really love that. And so do you notice a theme here with Kevin about relationships? Yeah. <laughs> no wonder you guys are kindred spirits, right? <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you, if you had been there the first day, um, I'm not sure poor Kathy got a word in. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and she was the one. She's my friend. Uh, you know, she's the one that did the introduction. Um, you know, we, you know, we, we had a wonderful, you know, you, you, know, you know when you've made a, a very natural connection with somebody. Sure. Yeah. And I think we made that natural connection that day. Yeah. We certainly That's did. Great. We certainly did. And continue to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, we've heard quite a bit with the COVID-19 pandemic and the impact it's had on healthcare settings. But we were we want to hear from you the impact it's had on academia. You know, what do our listeners need to know of, you know, what it's been like walking in your shoes and the challenges it's been for universities? Well, I'm going to be completely, and I mean, I'm always honest, but yes, I'm, I'm, you going are. To be, I'm going to I'm going to be very forthcoming and and um and just kind of kind of really bring in my environment. We have a very unique environment here at USFL. Um, we were very fortunate that we have a College of Public Health here, and our dean of our College of Public Health, um, you know, actually in, in, in a former life ran a Department of Health. And so we were very fortunate that we had an individual that, that, that knew how to organize people very quickly, very efficiently, very effectively. And then we all just kind of fell into, well, what's going to be my role and what's going to be the best role and what needs to get done? And, and uh, we get along very well. There, there are no egos among, among the four major deans here at USFL. But we really, uh, we took a public health approach here at our university and, and early on last year in the pandemic, you know, because of everything that we did, the communication strategy, the mitigation strategies that we put forth, uh, we really did have uh, uh, what I'm going to say, not only the lowest infection rate probably in Florida, but probably in southeast of America. And, and we probably could even compare the, across all of America. We just don't have the data to support that. But the approach in terms of the challenges for academia were multiple, meaning number one, first and foremost, you know, you make a commitment in an academic environment to create a, a safe environment for the student learner. And, and, and that was the number one thing that we all focused on. How can, what can we do to try the best we can to create a safe environment for the academic learner? But then number two, we also have to create a safe environment for the faculty, the staff, and, and, and just the, the entire support structure of people mm-hmm. that really hold up and hoist up the university in you know, any academic environment. And when you think about that category of people, you have the entire health spectrum of people. People who are you know, the most fit people on the planet, 
all the way to people who are struggling with daily health challenges and and everything in between and so you know we really had to be thoughtful about how we were going to take a a, a total health approach a, a public health approach in an academic environment and that's very difficult to understand now we pulled in our research uh, environment and I could not believe how quickly they engaged. Um, one of our individuals, uh, Dr. Tom Unash, uh, he immediately took his own lab and, and helped convert the lab into uh, a COVID testing lab. Mm. Uh, so his own research got put aside because he saw a greater need mm -hmm. for the university and, and um, everything that we accomplished and we could not have done without him. So. Um, but one thing I, I want to share with, again with all of you and, and you know, the listeners and the viewers, um, there are two components. You know, we, we, we talk about the academic environment and we've heard um, even some of the controversy around the country going on right now in terms of if, uh, if a university or a school, you know, are they going to require a mask? Are they not going to require a mask? Um, are they going to require vaccination or not require it? But very often, we really have to imagine that the university is just a component of the community from which people are coming onto that campus. Mm -hmm. And so now we began to expand out into the Tampa Bay community, uh, working with our Department of Health. Uh, there was a COVID task force for the county, uh, for um, Hillsborough County, the city of Tampa. And, and uh, again, Dr. Peterson, our Dean of Public Health, played a key role and communicating and helping to coordinate with the community. And then our senior VP, uh, Dr. Lockwood, you know, early on provided much of the, the scientific background for many people to understand the evidence of, of why we were trying to accomplish what we needed. And so I, when I see things around the country, you know, children at schools are going into and out of communities. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, if we can keep them safe in the environment, but when they leave the environment, are they going to be safe there? And if they're not, are they going to bring, it in. you know, the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus back into the environment with them? Yeah. And if they do, what mitigation strategy do we have at that point to try and keep the environment safe again? So, there are, you know, I've learned a great deal. There are a lot of moving parts when it comes to academia. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, and, and I know, you know, I'm fully aware that we're being recorded. Ultimately, we, you know, I really believe that, that uh, a vaccine strategy uh, is imperative to try and keep everyone safe in the in the in the short and intermediate uh, term. Right. Uh, because um, uh, without that, it's been much, it's growing much more much more difficult to continue a mitigation strategy when you don't have everybody involved. And number two, when you encounter a new variant like the Delta variant that is so contagious and, and transmits so easily to, to so many people right. and really scientifically can overrun the immune system in a way that we had not seen since the pandemic started. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. There's just, you know, <laughs> it just keeps going, doesn't it? Like there's so much to learn and unpack around the whole thing and, and it, everything is so interdependent. And I yes. think, you know, mm -hmm. it just has yes. really brought forth all the interdependencies that that are a part of our lives that I think we just took for granted in so many ways for so long. And this is just really bringing out all of that, you know. And Can uh, I, can, can I yeah. share one more thing also? Sure. 
Yeah. Um, because uh, this has really become my, my new my, my new platform. Uh, the thing I'm I'm really passionate about. Uh, because I, I, I you can see I'm in my scrubs today. I I'm, I still have remained clinically active even as a dean. Now, again, in our Department of Family Medicine, and, and I've had a number of patients come in and, and talk about the impact of what it meant for them to either themselves be infected or their family members. And the long COVID uh, or long haulers or you know the, p- the post-acute uh, viral syndrome and a whole host of other names that we have come up with are really what is driving me right now. Uh, more than more than ever to try and you know get out and, and educate pe- more people and really help them understand that you know we're not talking uh, for some people not all but right. for some people we really are not talking about a short-term proposition of you know I got infected I felt bad for about a week or two and then I moved on with life well many people are not moving on with life right and and so uh, you know the and, and I've told my own students uh, I, I can't I can't stomach or fathom the thought of a young person, you know, between the age of 20 and, and 50, if you will, of getting infected and having, you know, the neurological long haulers, the psychological things that I have personally witnessed from my patients, uh, the potential for uh, organ damage, uh, whether it be uh, cardiac or kidney, or, you know, I've had patients that had lung scarring, uh, that need uh, bilateral uh, double lung transplants. Um, I can't fathom the thought of any one of our, our young people in an academic environment having to encounter that, uh, having to deal with that and, and potentially derail their dreams and their career, um, you know, because we could not work harder to keep them safe. Uh, and we realized, you know, it could happen. It could happen to almost anyone for any reason, but but we don't want to get to the point that it happens because we didn't try mm-hmm. to mitigate uh, the, the circumstance of uh, viral spread in the in the academic environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's so. It's so important for people to understand the realities, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, so many things are filtered or misunderstood. Or so I just really appreciate you bringing the realities and and speaking those truths. Um, I think it's just important for people to hear. You know, we hear a lot about the front line and a lot about clinicians, physicians, nurses, you know, that are experiencing really significant challenges and trauma um, from the pandemic and the experiences that they've had. What can you tell us about what pharmacists are experiencing? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, every segment of the healthcare team has been affected. Uh, number one, and, and number two, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of uh, mental fatigue uh, that's occurring with all clinicians. I think pharmacists had a great deal of, of, of uh, challenges early on because uh, unlike even a physician that may work in the hospital, you have to gain entry into the hospital. You know, you have to gain entry into a medical office. But pharmacists were on the front line of having an open door of people walking into and out of the pharmacies, um, you know, still needing, uh, you know, needed services that didn't involve COVID-19, still needing to get other vaccinations, uh, needing their medications. 
uh, needing advice uh, because of things that were not COVID related. And so early on, part of the challenge I was hearing when I talked with many pharmacists was really how am I going to protect myself? As people with, with COVID are very likely walking into and out mm -hmm. of our, our work environment um, just because they have open access with, without, without the, you know, the, the normal barriers of having to go into an emergency room or having to stop at a, at, at a reception desk or whatever may have happened, uh, you, know, you know, temperature checking <laughs> and mm -hmm. asking questions of every individual coming into a, uh, coming into a store. So those early, those were some of the early challenges. But I think pharmacists again uh, are are very, you know, we we are in, we are the community. Uh, we are located in the community. We have uh, cherished that that access for people to be able to come in and to walk in and and, and access our our services and, and our knowledge. And I think pharmacists um, have adjusted very quickly and immediately took up the call when it came to. Uh, saying, hey, not only uh, you know, can we eventually provide the vaccine when you have it ready, but we can actually go in and do testing. Mm -hmm. uh, we can do COVID testing, and 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 we can we can gown up in full PPE, and and uh, and we can be engaged and help the community uh, infection rates uh, improve, identify those who are infected, and then when the vaccines came around, uh, being really at the front line of trying to get needles in arms. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and, and, th and then making sure that we are, are providing the public health knowledge uh, to, back to the public uh, just to make sure that we're playing our role in, in communicating uh, accurate information that, that's coming from the research community, from physician communities, from nurse and nurse practitioner communities, uh, wherever it may come from, and, and, and being a valued resource for all of those communities make sure that we are, are a part of that, that community network of, of healthcare providers. And so um, I think pharmacists are, have proven now that, you know, number one, we're a very vital and integral part of, of the community. Uh, we want to, we want the access to our patients. Uh, you know, we, we have learned, I think, uh, much better how to appreciate how to provide personal protection. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and then, you know, moving forward, I think what COVID-19 and the entire pandemic has really shown is that we really do have to create more of a, a, a interprofessional network to be able to take care of, of entire communities of thousands of people all the way down to, again, as I call her, um, you know, that, that imaginary patient, Miss Jones, uh, you know, that, that's 70 years old sitting in our house, um, you know, you know that, that may not be in the best of health, and how do we meet her individual needs? but also meet the needs of, of tens of thousands and maybe even millions of people all at the same time. Yeah. Well, I, just from even my own personal experience, I mean, the transparency and the importance of the pharmacists through the COVID pandemic, I think it really did raise awareness from everyone in my family. And, um, and then we've had conversations with um, different leaders in acute care settings, too, about how you, uh, pharmacists have really stepped up to their full scope of practice and have been much more involved because of the necessity. But it's you're practicing at your full scope of practice at the same time as well. So I yeah. think it's provided a lot of opportunity. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, even in the pharmacy that we that we run and manage here at the university, um, 
I could not have been more proud of, of the outreach. Uh, we knew early on a year ago that people who, for example, were diabetic or had high blood pressure, that they were at increased risk if they became infected. And so we, you know, we began an outreach campaign to, to people who, you know, going through a database, well, who's on the diabetes medication? Mm -hmm. yeah. And let's make sure that they have their medication in hand. We began mailing medications. We were delivering medications on, in vans and, and, uh, and doing everything we could to try and help promote good health Sure. In the event that they came, they became infected, um, uh, that you know it wouldn't spin out of control from from the uh, the inflammation and, and the cytokine storms that really damaged uh, so many people and continues to do it today. So, um, uh, you know, Michelle, I think you're 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 exactly right, and and in the entire healthcare team, uh, our nurse practitioners in our practice, our our um, physicians in our practice, our specialists in the practice, all came to depend on the fact that somebody was going to make sure when those medications got to their patients uh, and and then you know we were able to hold up uh, telehealth in, in record time in probably a two-week period uh, had, and by the way I had been advocating for that for years <laughs> by the way <laughs> yeah, you know you know just as a, as a as a medical futurist I was saying guys you know Come on! And, you know, uh, you know, biometric um, monitoring, and you know, we can do all this stuff. Yeah. But we were able to put it up in a two-week period, and and then that really allowed us to have the level of outreach, and along with the medication therapy, to match up to try and keep people healthy. Uh, during the pandemic. Yep. Yeah. Just another silver lining in the yep, in the exactly. pandemic yep. for sure. Telehealth. Well, Kevin. Um, what gives you the greatest hope right now? Uh, humanity. Uh, humanity, and, and, let, and let me let me explain exactly why I say that. Um, as, fu as futuristic as I try to be, I, you know, I'm I'm not the historian that my uh, my senior VP is, but but I, I am a student of history, and and what we have known about the human spirit overall is that anytime we've encountered uh, major challenges. Uh, and whatever that challenge is, that, that, that the will to, to, to want to live eventually, maybe not acutely, but eventually the will to want to live and, and flourish uh, typically provides a pathway out of the darkness. Mm -hmm. And so the level of human resilience that people have shown throughout history, I mean, you know, if you go back and take a look at the Roman times, uh, mm -hmm. there were moments where they had to kind of come through that. You know, if you take a look at at um, at, at uh, you know what what Europeans had to go through during during some of the world wars that we've had to fight, uh, where well, they emerged from that, and of course you know here in our country, um, when any time that we've had you know major calamities, whether it be uh, climate induced, war induced, uh, now you know infection and and health related. Uh, each time, a group of people eventually came together and said, "Hey, you know, we can do better. We can be better, and we have to come together." And so, uh, I, I remain hopeful that we will have the enduring human spirit that that really mankind has shown throughout all of our existence of of of, um, of known civilization. I'll put it that way. Um, 
I can't account for what happened in the uh, Neanderthal days. <laughs> you can't. Um, I, I, I can't. I can't. I cannot. Uh, I, I've read a great book, Sapiens, uh, that helped me understand probably that era a little bit better. But I cannot account for it. But what I can account for is that when societies have 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 been challenged and, and stretched, that one way or the other, typically good uh, wins out. The human spirit. Resiliency wins out, and, and so I, I have to maintain that level of hope uh, because when, when people have hope, uh, they continue to press forward, and I think mm-hmm. hope is one of the, the most uh, foremost uh, attributes that, that we have as human beings that allows us to continue to move forward. Mm-hmm. And so if nothing else, I'm going to try the best I can to maintain my hope uh, that, 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 uh, that, that we as human beings will will latch on to hope and, and pull us out of where we are today. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. And I, yeah. I mean, I just have trusted and had faith throughout the whole thing that we're going to emerge out of this better than we were before. That look at all the silver linings, just trying to keep attention on the things that have been positive, the advances that we're making. And, you know, you just keep knowing that it's, we're not going to have the normal we had before. It's going to be new, and it's going to be different, and, and, you know, just trusting that over time, it's going to be exactly what we need it to be, and it's going to be better, right? And uh, just holding that faith that that's the trajectory we're on. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, yeah, I think the other word you, you mentioned, uh, you, know, you know, typically I, I say hope and faith. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're going to have to maintain and hold on to both. Uh, you know, I was meeting with a group of students uh, not too long ago. And I said, look, you know, at one point in time in this country, um, people didn't have air conditioning. But somehow they didn't realize what they were missing out on because they, <laughs> they, they didn't have it. And, and, and eventually, you know, so the standards of, of living that we have now uh, really are so much further along. And, 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 but the, the one thing that we have to maintain as we, because, and I mentioned that because you know you mentioned there is going to be a new normal, mm-hmm. and because nothing stays the same as it was. That was really the the point I was making to them. Yeah. You know, right? Yeah. You know, today we have air conditioning, and I even pointed out that we even have uh, power steering in a car. I mean, man, you know, I can't imagine some of my some of my young students right now having to uh, drive a, a car without power steering. <laughs> uh, I've driven a car without power steering. Uh, that was an old car, and. I think I want the power steering. That's right. <laughs> I'm going for the better stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, and none yeah. of that happens until we imagine it, until we think it's possible, to your earlier yeah, points, yes. right? Yeah, and that, that's exactly right. So, yeah, I think your point is so well taken that, you know, there, there will be a new normal, and we will uh, adapt yeah. as, as human beings. Uh, we will adjust uh, as human beings, and, and a whole level of new um, innovations and, and transformations will emerge. Uh, from what we are learning now, yeah. mm-hmm. and if we yeah. don't do that, and, and I, I am going to take one step backwards into the not so positive part, you know, to 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 face the reality that we have had as many people die from COVID nineteen as, as uh, died during the nineteen eighteen pandemic. Yep. Uh, you know, the, the the raw numbers now, the percentages are much different because the, the population was so so much smaller back then. But we have so many more advances in technology now, and therapeutics and everything. So it's a little bit sobering that we do find ourselves here. But 
but the, the silver lining of that comes in that we are going to learn, we will adapt, and and uh, one day I think we will be far more prepared for uh, the next pandemic that is certain to come, I'm sure, oh, yeah. uh, than we mm-hmm. are today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's just been such a pleasure talking with you, and now it's time for the missing questions. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. Don't <laughs> panic. You've got it. I'm sure you've got it, right? Okay. This is just, you know, we've talked a lot about the professional side of you and all your contributions. And we just kind of like our listeners to get to know you a little bit on the personal side. So we're not going to ask anything too hard, right, or too <laughs> pressing. So relax. you got it. I'm all um, for it. All right. Now, we kind of, little birdie told us that you're quite a sports fan. <laughs> so we want to know what is your favorite sport and who's your favorite team um well without a doubt my favorite sport is football okay uh, I, I'm a former football player um, oh. I was a high school quarterback a receiver um, my college career came to an end before I had a chance to get going oh. uh, so football hands down um, but to be perfectly honest, um, I don't necessarily have a favorite team in the way you mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, my favorite team is my team, um, <laughs> and I'm part of I'm part of the, the USF Bulls, uh-huh. and uh, you know, and this is my team, and, and and I know the players, I know the guys, I know the coaches, I know the the vice president for athletics, um, I know the fans, I know the environment, uh-huh. and so. Uh, you know we're 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 in a, in a in a growing phase right now, and and, um, and so I'm just going to say that right now my team here is my favorite team, and uh, you know we're going to stick together through thick and thin because you know what that's what teams do. Absolutely, that's right. That's right. Oh, that's awesome. That's I'm watching. Awesome. I'm watching uh, Travis our our audio producer. He's a big football fan. As soon as you said that, his whole face lit up. Like, <laughs> loves football. <laughs> loves football. But, but, right. but n- n- number two, right behind football is track and field. Oh, okay. Yeah. All yeah. right. All right. Track and field. Okay. <laughs> all right. Now here's another toughie for you. Now, you know, we're all about taking care of selves, well-being. I you know we spend all of our time really helping leaders do that. So this is a question kind of related to that. We want to know what's the best place you've ever been on vacation. I would have to say hands down, without a doubt, uh, St. John's Island. Oh, okay, okay. That's good to know. And I've been, and I've been, I've been to a lot of locations. Um, you know, there, there was just a magic that that I experienced there. The, you know, the ability to completely unwind and disconnect, and uh, and but but at the same time to enjoy myself and enjoy the water. Yeah. Uh, the, the snorkeling was, was um almost out of a movie I, you couldn't you couldn't have scripted a movie better than the snorkeling that, that i experienced there and and so um yeah for me st john's all right well tracy well, i think we just uh, got a great tip <laughs> we're gonna put that on our list <laughs> we do <laughs> yeah, trunk, trunk, trunk bay one trunk of the bay. best okay. beaches in the world and and well deserved all, all right. right there we go we Glad got we on. ask you the missing question <laughs> we're gonna ask everybody that <laughs> <laughs> all right now we have a wrap-up question 
Okay. So, um, you know, one of the principles of polarities are that all of us have a prefer- preference pole. So you could take any interdependent value pair, and all of us tend to favor one a little bit more than the other, or maybe a lot more. Just kind of depends. But I'm gonna I'm gonna share a polarity with you. And I just want you to tell us, what's your preference, Paul? Where do you lean more towards? And the polarity is individual competency or team competency. Uh, yeah, that's not a difficult one for me at all. Team competency is, is going to win out. And, and, and just very quickly, I can explain why. You know, individual competency very often is not going to accomplish a whole lot by itself. But if you have a team concept and you build and, and you, you uh, develop the individual competencies, now everybody's contributing to something much bigger. And so, uh, yeah, team competency is always, always going to win out in that scenario. Now, in, in the middle of the team, you may have an outstanding person that has individual competency that is just unimaginable. I mean, you take a look at Michael Jordan, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a perfect example, I think. Um, but no team team competency. We're gonna accomplish. You're gonna go further. You're gonna go further quicker, with greater magnitude and greater impact when we all do it together. And uh, and, and there's zero doubt about that. It, it's really the core fundamental value, the core value of what civilization and society is based upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you really get down to it, and so absolutely team competency all the way. <laughs> All right. Okay. Go team. That's right. That's right. Uh, Oh, Kevin, thank you so much. This has been absolutely a wonderful conversation with you. I'm so glad that you accepted it and that we could reconnect. I'm looking forward to reconnecting and staying connecting with you in the future. And um, just, it was just so awesome to get your frontline, you know, experience in dealing with the pandemic as a leader, as a community member, and as an interprofessional friend and colleague. So thank you. And thank you for everything you're doing. Yeah. In the communities, in your organization, and your, you know, just, I think you have such a genuine, caring spirit and, you know, such a warmth about you. I, I have no doubt that everybody you talk to just opens up and is welcoming to you. You're just such a wonderful gentleman. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Well, thank you all very much. And in the spirit of team, I, I really have to just very quickly acknowledge my team, my, my We Care team. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've, I've been I've been out front and, and kind of provided the vision and direction. And But um, again, I could not have accomplished anything without the team of people who have, who have really been out there toiling right along with me. And so um, uh, any any recognition I've got really is on behalf of that group. And, and that's the honest to God truth. And, mm-hmm. and I just have to mention that. So yeah. um, just want to make sure we acknowledge that. You sure. bet. You Kudos bet. to them, too. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Thanks so much. Till next time. Yeah. Yeah. We're closing out another episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. And stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you on our next episode. Yep. Take care, everybody. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, now a top-rated podcast for healthcare leaders. Please share this podcast with other healthcare leaders and anyone else you think would benefit. We are certain that if you found value in it, they will too. If you haven't already done so, please hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. 
And also, it would mean the world to us if you took a quick moment to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast player. It helps to get the word out about our podcast and incredible guests. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you want to watch our podcasts. You can also follow us on our Missing Logic social media channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until next time.